Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Designer Talks Podcast from the Charter Society of Designers. I'm your host, Lefteris Heretakis, and our guest today is Jamie Elul. Welcome, Jamie. Hey, Lefteris. How you doing? It's fantastic to have you here. It's great, great. This is uh, very exciting to, to start the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm honored to be the first guest. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So tell us about you. Uh, okay, so I'm Jamie Alul. I'm a graphic designer. I run an agency called Sopple Studio based in Bath in the UK. Uh, we've been going almost eight years, so it'll be our eighth birthday at the end of this month, so end of May. Um, and yeah, we're a small agency, a team of five, and it's kind of purposely, you know, quite small kind of, you know, and I'll talk about that, I guess, as we, as we chat mm. later, mm. um, but yeah, team of five, no, uh, project managers or anything like that. It's all just purely design and we specialize in brand identities and brand campaigns. Um, yeah, and that's kind of us in a nutshell, really. Fantastic, fantastic. So when did you realize you want to be a designer? Um, I think I was always, you know, an arty kid. I was always sitting and drawing. And, um, you know, looking back, I was that kid in the class that was good at bubble writing and those kind of things. And I think I was about 10 years old when I got bought a set of pencils that said graphic designer on them. So they were like a set of kind of different grades of pencil and I've still got the box and I only found it a few years ago but it you know I think that was the first time I saw the term graphic designer written down didn't really still understand what it was you know because the drawing on the cover was like a, a kind of like Celtic knotwork or something it didn't have nothing to do with graphic design um but yeah and then uh, I did a I did a graphic design uh, GCSE and A level and to be honest they put me off graphic design because now looking back they weren't they weren't graphic design at all you know it it, it was very much um product design really and a lot of kind of orthographic and planimetric drawing that kind of stuff which was you know obviously a good basis for design but it it wasn't graphic design it wasn't kind of typography it was quite pre-computer so it was in the 90s so we didn't really use computer software or anything like that it was all on a drawing board and I got to the end of the A-level and just felt like actually I don't think I want to do this if this is what graphic design is and I basically got a job so I kind of I didn't go to university straight off I worked at a software company and I got a job through the job center actually um, as a marketing assistant there and it was through that job that I, obviously, as a software company, I was sat at a computer all day and I'd never really worked at a computer before I had that job. And I started to use this program called Hot Metal Pro that was like a very early internet um, web design uh, bit of software. And I used to look after the intranet at the company and design that. And also use this thing called Freelance Graphics, which was which sounds very cool but it wasn't it was just like a really bad powerpoint <laughs> and but through those things i started to design stuff on a computer and started to experiment with that and around the same time i was i'm also a musician and at that point that was what i 
felt like I wanted to do. So I just had this day job at a software company and I wanted to play in bands and, you know, I was going to, it was the nineties. So Britpop was blowing up and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to be the next big thing on in the Britpop scene, which obviously didn't happen. <laughs> That's another story. But, uh, I guess as part of that, I started to design posters and CD covers and tape covers and all that kind of stuff. And it was through that really that I properly discovered what graphic design was. And also the software company that, that I worked at employed a freelance graphic designer who came in and worked on projects. And, and whilst I was there, they actually rebranded the company. So that was my first experience of, of that side of graphic design, I guess. Um, not that they did a particularly marvellous job or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting to sort of see that from the inside as part of a marketing team. And so I guess I guess I was probably by that point about 21 and decided that, you know, I couldn't, you know, just hang all my uh, hopes on becoming a musician professionally. So I decided to go back to uh, college. So I signed up. I actually went for an interview to, to do an uh, art foundation and the guy that interviewed me said, well, I think you're a natural graphic designer because I had all these posters and things that I'd designed as well as, you know, my kind of art portfolio. And, uh, yeah, he just said, why don't you do, instead of doing a year um, as, an art, as an art foundation, why don't you just do a year of the diploma in, um, it was like a national diploma in graphic design. So I kind of did that in a year rather than two years. I kind of fast-tracked that. and. I guess it was by the end of that that I felt like, yeah, I can do this. And also, at the end of that, I was really lucky. One of the tutors there knew a guy called Rob O'Connor who started Stylo Rouge back in the 90s. They were like the album cover designers. You know, they were doing incredible stuff for Blur and Kula Shaker and David Bowie, loads, loads of different artists. And she got me a work placement there only for a week. But that really just kind of opened my eyes up to studio life and, and designing as a as a as a job rather than a kind of hobby. And yeah, I guess that was the point where I really, aged sort of 21, 22, that I really felt like, yeah, this is the job for me. Fantastic, fantastic. So, tell us a little bit about the the, the contribution of your education. Uh, it was very interesting. You 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 went later into education. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but so, how did you feel that that contributed to, to your uh, to, to your career? I think actually, like at the time, I felt like oh, I felt a bit annoyed that the, that the A level that I'd done had kind of put me off design and almost stalled my career to a certain degree. But I think actually, I kind of felt like also, you know, just coming coming at it only like you know, I'd only had three years out of education, but it just gave me a very different outlook on the way that I approached my design course. So I'd kind of been working nine to five and I just treated going to art college like that. You know, I got there at nine and I finished at five. Yeah. And Brilliant. and so yeah. instead of like, you know, a lot of people would kind of wander in, doss about, <laughs> leave at lunchtime. You know, I didn't kind of have that approach. And I also just felt like I had an urgency, I guess, to to do well and to sort of speed through that course and come out of it and get a job. Um, and partly because I was then, you know, living at home, I'd been 
paying rent and stuff to my parents before that and now I was a student I couldn't afford to do that um so yeah so I think actually in hindsight it was a good thing and it just made me get my head down and really kind of apply myself and um yeah and then I and then I was just super lucky so I'd, I'd signed up to do this foundation at Somerset College in Taunton in, in Somerset and I'd ended up on this national diploma and then there was also a course upstairs to do a degree in graphic design and I'd, I'd kind of felt like oh I should move to London and, and you know go to St Martin's or somewhere sort of famous like that that I'd sort of heard of but the tutor the kind of course leader from the from the BA came down to where we were studying in the in the basement and he did this amazing slideshow of the work that comes out of that course and then he kind of gave us a tour of the studio space upstairs and the the walls in the hallway were just lined with DNAD certificates and the work was just amazing and you know he did a really compelling talk and you know I just felt well actually this course seems really good it's on my doorstep I'm already here um, so I applied to that course, got on, um, and then another stroke of luck really was that on my first day, our tutor that was supposed to be teaching us for that first year was basically on long-term sick, which we didn't know, but we turned up on the first day and we got an intro from the course leader just saying, actually, your lecturer is off sick at the moment, so you're going to have the part-time lecturer as a full-time lecturer, so four days a week. And those lecturers were a guy called Widge Hunt and a guy called Malcolm Swatridge. And Widge, they were both in their kind of like, I guess they're six, early 60s at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe late 50s. Maybe I'm doing them injustice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it turned out as we progressed through the course that we found out they were both kind of legends. So Widge had worked in advertising. Malcolm was one of the founders of The Partners, who are very famous uh, design agency who are now part of Super Union, this sort of behemoth of the design world. Um, and so, yeah, so we just got this amazing grounding in graphic design. And they introduced us to, you know, at that point I felt like, oh, I just want to be, you know, I thought graphic design was style, I guess. And I I wanted to design album covers and I wanted to do this stuff that I sort of saw on posters and I, you know, I just wanted, I just thought it was all kind of about trend and fashion and, and art direction and stuff. And the first day of the course, they just gave us this reading list and everyone's kind of shot to the bookshop and we all bought these books. And top of that list was a book called Smile in the Mind, which is all about ideas and, and wit in design. And uh, yeah, I think you can see yeah, it at the edge of the I can screen. see it in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's kind of, it's not, you know, yeah. these days it's not a fashionable book. You know, it's not, I think there's a, there's, there's a bit of a kind of division in the graphic design world of like the smile and the mind people and the style people. And for me, it's never been about that. I think it's about blurring and mixing both. And I think having a foot in both, both camps and then, you know, yeah. I think, I think these days everything is a mixing pot, pot anyway, and I just think there's no kind of barriers and divisions between things. But I think what that book did for me was just sort of open me up to the 
to the idea of coming up with ideas. So of of kind of starting the idea first and then choosing the style appropriately to wrap that up in. And so that was a real turning point for me and 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 a lot of the people on our course was that we were just purely just thinking about ideas and, and we weren't allowed on a computer for the first year, even though you know this is to probably 1998 or 99 that that was our first year of that course and you know we were like oh we just want to jump on a mac and get it done but they were like no 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 you know you've got to hand render all your typography you've got to get these type books out these specimen books and kind of trace and it was like at the time we were like oh my god what is this all about and i remember like doing a swiss typography project and being there on a light box until like nine or ten at night and tracing Helvetica mm. and kind of like swearing about it, you know, and just being really annoyed. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, you know, looking back, it was kind of like that karate kid, Mr. Miyagi moment of like wax on, wax off, you know, cleaning cars and painting fences. And it was, it, we were just learning all these craft skills, learning to kern, learning to really think about typography not just typing it into a computer, changing the typeface, and that's it. You know, you you were just thinking about the space between everything. And so, yeah, so that that first year of that course, and just so lucky that, you know, not to do a disservice to the tutor that we were supposed to have, but we ended up with these two legends for a whole year. And I think that just completely changed my pathway and my view on graphic design. Um, and it also just it just meant that even actually after a year, I had a really, you know, good portfolio. And so I, I then spent my second year um, trying to get as many work placements as I could. So we had a really good industry connection at Somerset College. There are a lot of alumni out in the in the world working in industry. And so yeah, so I just kind of whenever a placement would come available, you know, they'd they'd put a notice up on the board and I'd just apply for it. And so I ended up doing about five or six placements in my in my second year, and um, you know, and also trying to juggle my coursework and everything at the same time. Um, but it meant that you know I, I basically left that summer, and I managed to get a job by September, and I didn't go back and finish my PA basically. So not a good advert for uh, <laughs> for the course. But you know, we, we were lucky; we could do. We could do an HND in two years and then a top-up BA. So you had an option to to not go back. And I just felt like, well, if I can make this happen, if I can get a job at the end of this year, then I'll do that. If I don't get a job, I'll go back and finish the BA. And I was just really lucky. And I got a job at Hattrick Design, and that's where my career started in 2001. Fantastic, fantastic. Fantastic. So... How about your background? Uh, uh, did you come from a creative background, and what was your background sort of approving of your of your choice? <laughs> uh, my parents were really supportive, um, oh, really. but not no, not creative on paper. Like my dad was a policeman, so my dad was in the Met in London, and then when I was about nine, we moved to Somerset, and he transferred to the police in a tiny village called Brinkton near Bristol. Um, and then he kind of left the police and had a stint running a shop, a clothing shop for kids, which was a disaster because he was kind of importing <laughs> amazing, the latest kind of kids fashion from London and trying to sell it in Somerset. And at, at that time in the okay. 90s, 
late 80s that wasn't really working out <laughs> they weren't quite up to speed um and my mum uh was a kind of homemaker and you know an amazing amazing mum and before that she was a bookkeeper but um but my dad you know my dad's kind of creative you know the only O level I think he got was in sign writing <laughs> he wasn't particularly yeah. academic at school he was more kind of sporty and stuff but um yeah, my dad's always been good at calligraphy and things like that and kind of grew up with him, you know, having a calligraphy set in the house and things like that. And my mum's kind of naturally quite musical. Um, so, yeah, so not like, you know, not the the kind of classic thing. And, you know, they're quite working class. Even to this day, my brother and I are the only people in our entire family network and we've got a really big family who have been to university uh, my brother studied music at university, um, you know, and even now, none of the our kind of cousins and things have been to university. So we're very much kind of that kind of working class kind of approach. Um, but my parents were just super supportive of us and just let us do what we had a passion for. You know, they just were very, you know, like when we were into doing music, my dad sold his car and bought a, a kind of like people carrier so that we could fit the band in and get all the it was like a splitter thing where we could get all the gear in the back and you know drove us to gigs and stuff and particularly for my brother who was too young to drive um so yeah so they've always been really supportive but no not, not we're not like you know the parent of an artist and an architect or anything like that <laughs> do, do you would you have done something else if you had not chosen to be a designer I think, I think you know, if the music thing had happened for me, then I would have done that. Mm. My brother, my brother was different to me. You know, he was like, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be a musician." And he never, ever took a day job, or you know, he's he never gave in and just kind of stuck stuck at it. And in his kind of late twenties, he got a record deal, and now he's you know he's pushing forty, and he makes a really comfortable living out of being a musician. Um, so yeah, that would have been the other calling for me, I guess, you know, and still the, you know, I've actually in the last few years, as my kids have got older and I've got a bit more time on my hands, I've got back into playing music and I play with my brother and some other musicians and what instrument do you play? I play the electric bass and double bass and a little bit of guitar, not to a decent level. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it would have been that, I think those are the only two good no, two things I'm good at, <laughs> basically. I I almost became a oh, This is very interesting. Uh, There's a very interesting mm-hmm. parallel between design and music. I think there is. I think there is. They're both obviously Brilliant. very creative. And I think also for me, music is, you know, there's a lot of parallels. Design, you know, I much prefer designing with other people and working in a team and bouncing off each other and, and sharing ideas and you know, massaging those ideas into something interesting. And similarly with music, you know, I like to, I'm doing a thing with my brother at the moment and a friend of ours who's playing drums. And we just literally were walking into a room with a rough idea or, or sometimes no idea and maybe putting on a record that we like and then trying to write something in the vein of that, you know, whether it's like, um, you know, it might be Bowie or it might be um, The Velvet Underground or something we will listen to and then we'll try and write a song. And we're, we're sort of pushing ourselves to write and record that 
song that same session. So we might have like a four hour session. And that's a really interesting way to work. And you just sort of, you know, you're just really, really working super fast. And there's a spontaneity and an energy to that. And, you know, I think it's similar in design, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who has been your biggest influence so far? Um, so I think that Smile in the Mind book was a big influence. And through that, I think the sort of, I guess the heroes for me, and they're sort of peppered through that book massively, uh, Fletcher Forbes Gill. So the sort of godfathers of Pentagram. You know, for me, that that kind of, a lot of that work is still really timeless and, and still stands up. And although some of the style things maybe look a bit dated, the ideas, you know, in fact, some of the style stuff looks like it was done yesterday, which is amazing. Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, but that they were real heroes for me, particularly Bob Gill, just in the terms of, you know, his sort of writing and education stuff and, you know, just real inspiration. He can just, he's just like an ideas machine and just so versatile and not kind of scared of just doing anything. And sort of seeing designers just like, well, if I want to design some film credits, then I'll do some film credits. And if I'm going to do a stationary range, I'll do a stationary range. And I'm going to design a book and I'm going to do this poster. And I'm, you know, just kind of no barriers. And um, so that's, yeah, been a big inspiration. And then I guess also I was lucky. So my first job was at Hattrick Design, set up by David Kimpton and Gareth Howard and Jim Sutherland. And Jim is, to me, he's kind of like, now that we've lost Alan Fletcher, he's the kind of closest to that, I think, in the design industry. Just in the in terms of the sort of, you know, it's very pro prolific, prolific and very playful in what he does. And there's just a real joy to his work. And, you know, he's a, again, I count him as a very good friend, but also a mentor and a, a, a big inspiration. Um, so, yeah, those are my sort of, Top ones. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. What has been your biggest mistake? <laughs> um, I think I've probably deleted most of my big mistakes off, off the hard drive. Um, I think the one, there's, there's one that uh, I think my first big mistake is, and you always learn from these things and never do them again. Again, this is a hatchery design and uh, we were designing like a marketing suite for property development. And I'd, it was back in the day when Getty would have to scan uh, transparencies to, and send them to you rather than everything being digital. And we basically had this like, things like a four by three meter wall that was going to be covered in this massive grass image. And Getty sent me the high-res scan, which was huge. And uh, I stupidly didn't kind of zoom in and check it in detail and it got printed and it had this huge hair on it which which you know on a on my screen would have probably been about i don't know two mil long but on a huge wall it was about 40 centimeters long or something and i got a lot of shit for it and obviously it had to get reprinted um yeah so yeah that that was you know a kind of classic junior designer moment of just like making a huge screw up and having to fix that and and yeah I, you know i think we make mistakes here all the time and we're only human but 
we always try and rectify them as quickly as possible and put our hands up and be honest about it and yeah. you know come up with a solution and so yeah. you know i'm not scared of making mistakes or my team making mistakes but you know we try and put things in place particularly in terms of like the, the sort of the last 10 percent of a project is really important here we make sure that the stuff that goes out the door is very kind of tight and looked after and and crafted and you know we've got artwork checklists that everyone kind of goes through and you usually get a second pair of eyes on things and so we try to avoid those mistakes but yeah they happen <laughs> i remember a similar story with an overprint preview from oh the god yeah we have one of those <laughs> yeah we've had those as well yeah uh, what what are your uh your, your principles your design principles um so I made a note of some of these actually because um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always hard to, to remember these things. Of course. Um, I think, as I've kind of mentioned, honesty is a big one. So honesty and transparency and with our clients and, and as a team, really important. Um, hard work, you know, I, I think I'm super dedicated to this and to sort of the clients that we work with and, to making them look good and you know i've kind of come to realize that our job is you know we're quite often working with a marketing manager or a brand manager or whoever it might be and they've got a boss you know who's probably got a boss and it's all it's all just about making people look look good and so helping them you know through the process and um, and that kind of stuff i think empathy is really important again as a team but also with your clients um and then, uh, you know, more and more, the, the sort of values for me and the principles for, for Supple are about doing good design for good people that hopefully does some good to the planet. So we're kind of one of the things we're talking about a lot at the moment and we're just starting the ball rolling on this right now is, is becoming a B Corp. And we're, you know, I'd say probably about... 30 to 40% of the clients that we've got at the moment are not-for-profits or some kind of social or environmental impact organisations. And that's what I'm really passionate about at the moment is, is and hopefully will be <laughs> forever, um, is just sort of seeing that design can make a bit of a difference. You know, I'm, I, I know it's not going to solve everything, but... But I feel like we have a duty to use our creativity to help solve some of the issues. And, you know, we're working with, um, we're just literally today working on a project for uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which is all about the circular economy. And, you know, working with clients like that is a real education for us. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can create content from their thinking and their research that, communicates and and hopefully engages more people and gets more people involved in that way of thinking so that's the kind of stuff really that is is core to how we want to be working i think yeah you just picked up on one of the questions okay. about should, should designers be ex expected to solve everything in these days uh, it's like okay you just apply design and is it, how, how is that how is that working yeah i mean we can't we can't fix everything but i think yeah. i think creative thinking can be applied in all walks of life and all types of disciplines whether that's science or 
you know, kind of policy making or whatever it might be. I think thinking laterally and thinking outside the box and and yeah, I think challenging the norms. You know, that kind of design thinking can be applied across the board, and I think that that can help solve lots of bigger issues. I think designing a poster to stop climate change isn't going to work. <laughs> So how do you relate to design awards? Uh, are they important or do you think they just scrape the surface of design? Well, you can see all the ones behind me. I'm in the meeting room here and there's a, a big pile of pencils on the wall. Um, I've got a kind of love-hate relationship with them. Um, I, think, I think they are important in that they're a good, well, the good, the good ones, um, you know, the, the DNADs and DBAs and kind of very rigorous design awards i think they are they are a good benchmark of creativity and effectiveness and things like that and you know they've worked for us in the past from a sort of new business point of view they attract good creatives so they they attract talent particularly younger talent you know they'll see if they see our work in dnad or they see our Instagram posts that we want a DNAD or something, you know, they're like, oh, we want to work somewhere like that because they're obviously doing good work. So from that point of view, I think they've got a role to play. I think on the flip side of that, you know, they can be very expensive. You can have bad years where things don't get in and it's not, you know, I've judged these things and and it's obviously always about the mix of people in the room judging that work so, you know, I think you could put that same room full of work and change the jury and you'll get a different result, obviously. So there's a certain lottery to it, I think. You know, there's a certain randomness to it. But, you know, having, you know, I'd kind of, I'd, <laughs> you can tell that I'm kind of <laughs> divided here. I, I I took a year, well, we took a year as supple where we didn't enter any awards at all. It's a bit of an experiment and we used the money that we would have spent on awards and the time that we would have spent entering them because it takes time to put together these boards yeah, and things of course. to design a book. And annoyingly, that book landed during lockdown one. <laughs> so we haven't even been able to really launch it because we wanted to have an event and uh, you know that was always part of the plan. But, you know, we've still used it as a new business tool and things like that. And so we had that year. And I felt like, well, you know, I could spend £8,000 entering awards and maybe have the wrong jury or they just wouldn't like our work or maybe we wouldn't hit the mark and we'd walk away with nothing. Or I could spend £8,000 and print a really lovely book, but I would definitely get at the end of that because I'm paying £8,000 and you definitely <laughs> get something. There's no lottery involved. And so we did that. And and also just to see if, you know, it stopped new business coming in and things like that. And it, it didn't, to be honest. But we definitely found that, you know, there's a couple of design awards that we enter, like Transform and DNAD, where they have led to new business things, particularly Transform, where it's very much about rebrands and brand and branding from scratch, which is a lot of what we do. And so we decided this year to enter those two purely from a kind of new business point of view. 
um, but to kind of limit it to that, really. And we've entered a couple of packaging ones strategically for a packaging project that we've done because we don't do that much packaging and we want to do more of it. And hopefully I think that that will kind of get our name out there in that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think, I think design awards, you know, when I graduated in 2001, I think they were really important because it was the only way that you saw the best work. And, you know, as a student, I would pour through DNAD annuals and look at all this amazing work, partly because hardly any design agencies in the late 90s had a website. You know, they might have a holding page with their address on it, and that would be it. These days, the, you know, the landscape is totally different. There's social media, there's amazing websites. People are launching projects onto their social media and their websites, you know, the day that they launch as a brand or whatever it might be. And so you can just get your work out there much more quickly. There's blogs that then cover that. There's magazines, online magazines. You know, it's it's changed, I think. So I think that... There's an interesting dichotomy. There's an yeah, interesting dichotomy in that, yeah. of course. You know, about about portfolios and having the A2 portfolio, opening it up yeah. on, on, on an A1. Yeah. And, you know, while you're sort of looking at, 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 at work. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know, like that. But um, it's, it's, it's... You know, I think, yeah. I think the NAD, you know, having judged it last year... It was really rigorous and really fair. Yeah. And we spent a long time debating things. And the work that won was the best work in the room, you know. It, and, and, and then plus the money with DNAD goes back into education, any surplus becomes, mm. you know, bringing on the next generation. And they're doing a lot more stuff with things like DNAD, DNAD shift, where they're, yeah. trying to target more of a kind of wider participations kind of you know, not the usual crowd and hopefully pushing diversity in design and getting more working class people into the design world um, which I'm really you know very passionate about as someone who's sort of come from a working class background and you know not kind of been given this all on a plate about to you know work for it and um, yeah I think I think so so yeah Yes and no is the answer. <laughs> yeah. What what other skills are needed uh, for a designer, and what and what? How do you find sort of research, but really about the skills that 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 the designer needs? I think, I think, in terms of skills, I think it's about being. Obviously, you need to be able to use the computer and and that kind of stuff, and I think that's those skills are given these days, and I think particularly new designers are just coming through. They've grown up with touchscreens and computers and all those things and so they're just very computer literate that stuff i think can be taught and it's really easy i think i think the design thinking and and idea generation is is the key thing and that's what really differentiates designers for me that's what i'm really looking for particularly in a graduate is someone who's thinking outside the box and just doing interesting work and thinking about things differently and very laterally and stuff um i think the other skills you know which i think get learned as you develop as a designer uh, are really about time management you know a lot of mm-hmm. design and what people don't realize being a professional designer is just about managing your time really well absolutely and i feel like the more senior you get you obviously get quicker on the tools but you also get quicker at making decisions and you get quicker at deciding what to prioritize and 
you get used to working in chunks of work and maybe doing an hour of this and an hour of something else and dipping in and out. Whereas I think when you're a junior designer, you might sit down and just design one thing for three days or whatever it might be. You know, you don't get that luxury as you become more senior and you're managing more and more things and more and more projects. So I think, yeah, the best designers I work with are just really organized. You know, it's kind of pretty basic stuff, but, you know, if you're really good at design, you can design your time and you almost invent time in a way by doing that. You know, you kind of, and in the deadline driven business and sector that we're in, that's, that's like what everything's about is, is time really. You know? How do you maintain uh, enthusiasm and where does your inspiration come from? Uh, so I think, I mean, my enthusiasm comes from the fact that we just get some amazing briefs for amazing people. We, we get to work in all different sectors and for all different sizes of company. And, you know, that kind of keeps it interesting and spicy. And, and it means that, you know, as a team and, and as a sort of business owner, I don't get bored. So, so that keeps me interested. And I also just get the fear still from a new brief. You know, I always feel like we're only as good as our last project. And so yeah. when a new brief comes in, you know, I, I just want us to do the best work that we can do. And so this kind of feeling of fear, you know, a positive feeling of fear kicks in where it's yeah. like, right, that's my, that's my motivation is to not, let the client down and to just design something and present something that's going to knock their socks off. And that I think is like the biggest inspiration, really. <laughs> you know, that's what keeps me going. I think. I found that there are these 10 year cycles, these strange 10 year cycles, uh, in, uh, in, in a creative, mm. uh, have you found that every, like every, every certain period of time you have to kind of see your work, and and take it in, in in a different direction because you have changed direction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've kind of had like a until supper. I've never worked anywhere more than five years, and um, so I get this kind of itchy feet kind of moment. So I, I worked at um, Hattrick for about four and a half five years, and then I moved to an agency called Blast, and I worked there for two years, and then I set up. Well, then I freelanced for a couple of years, and then I set up an agency with a couple of mates called Magpie Studio. And again, I did that for five years and then my priorities changed, uh, had a family and stuff and decided to move to Bath and leave London. And I think as well as my priorities changing, I think I'd, I'd sort of become less of a designer and more just kind of a, running a business and doing a bit of creative direction and you know, really only opening InDesign to to send an invoice or write a proposal or put together a presentation or whatever it might be. And I kind of felt like I was missing the bit that I really enjoyed, which was still, you know, I like coming up with ideas, but also like designing them and, and making them of course. come to life. And, and so, I, you know, I have these moments and that was one of those moments where I'd sort of fallen out of love with my job. And so I've... I guess I reinvented my job and, and left that agency, started this one, decided to keep it really small so that we could kind of stay very hands-on, not have 
loads of admin stuff and kind of account handlers and that kind of stuff. And yeah, to just kind of stay, stay on the tools to a certain degree. And obviously I can't do that all the time when I have other uh, yeah. commitments and things and there's a business to run as well as, as that stuff. But, um, but yeah, and that's kind of kept me, I think, in love with what I do because I still do get to design things and see them through to the end. And for me, creativity is about creating something tangible at the end of it. And, you know, whether that's recording some music or designing a logo or designing a book or whatever it might be, I just love that process of starting with nothing and ending with something. And I just want to keep doing that. I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So what would be your advice to somebody starting out now as a designer? And at the same time, what would be your advice to clients? Uh, I think it's the same for both, really. I think it's, it's right. be kind and honest and, yeah. and you know, be, build relationships. I think I'm really lucky that we've got yeah. One client in particular, so Royal Mail, who've been a client that I've worked with since the Hattrick days, so since 2002 to now, so that's like 19 years. And I mean, from a continuity point of view, really lucky that the same team is still there 19 years later, which is obviously very unusual for any client really to stick around that long. Um, but that's just a classic example of just, something that's purely just a, a relationship that's not just about um, us doing good work and, and then being happy with that, but that there's a, there's a friendship and a trust that's built over that time. Exactly. And, you know, I could, I can point to lots of different clients and, you know, I've got clients that have moved from company to company and taken us with them um, multiple times. And that's led to multiple client relationships but yeah, it's all just about people, really. And you've just got to remember that, that everyone is trying to do their job and they've all got the same worries and anxieties and things like that. And, and you know, it's just a kind of relationship that should be two-way. You know, it's not just about, hopefully we're not just giving them a service, we're kind of going beyond that. And so, yeah, and I think that just runs across the board and it runs both ways from client to designer and back again. Um, yeah absolutely and what's the most important thing you've learned as a designer i think it goes back to that time management thing that i talked about earlier actually yeah. um yeah the more and more i think about it the the more i realize that what i get better at you know obviously i learn things all the time and i'm learning from clients and i'm learning from projects and uh, you know i'm learning better ways to do things but i'm also just getting better and better at managing my time, realizing I can't do everything, delegating. You know, I'm really lucky that I've got a super talented team and I, and I feel totally confident giving them projects to do and, and them looking after them. And obviously I'm, you know, as a creative director, I'm overseeing those things, but you know, not being afraid to let go, I think is really key. And, and yeah, and then just being able to manage your time and prioritize your time, I think realizing what's most important to do, making those quick decisions on that kind of stuff is, 
is the is the kind of key to being being good at, at, at what you do i think and and i do really feel that you know even just watching the design team here you know have people that have come in at junior level and then become seniors and you just see them grow as a designer and they get better at the ideas thing and they get better at decision making and they get better at uh, crafting an idea and styling and things like that but the key thing they get better at is managing their time being aware of deadlines and really just prioritizing what's important and that stuff yeah it's kind of hard to teach really you just sort of learn it on the job i think but um i think that's that's been my biggest learning and that just again not just as a designer but as a business owner as well any last piece of advice you have for our listeners and viewers? <laughs> I think, I think just be open-minded. I think the best designers that I work with and have worked with in the past are ones that don't just sort of live and die by design. You know, they're not just into design, they're into other things. I think if you're just spending your time looking at design blogs and design magazines and design books, everyone's going to be doing that and you're just going to end up kind of with coming up with the same kind of ideas i think obviously you need to have a knowledge and, a, and an awareness of what's going on now and what's gone on in the past but i think if you look in more unusual places and and soak up more unusual influences then you're you're going to become a more rounded designer and for me ideas are all about just grabbing things from different pots and remixing them so if you've got more pots to of paint to play with then you know, you're just going to come up with much more interesting ideas. So, um, you know, I'm always reading books and listening to podcasts and things. Like at the moment, I'm I'm reading a book called Out of Our Minds by Sir Ken Robinson. He's a yeah, or who was he? Sadly, passed away last year. He's a um, he was an education specialist. Um, partly reading his book because I'd, I'd seen his TED talk years ago, which is super famous. And then last sort of tail end of last year, we got in a project to create an identity for a festival that's a celebration of his life called Imagine If, which we did and launched sort of in February, March time this year. And that was a really interesting project and took a deep dive into him and his learnings. And I've been reading that book ever since, which is just amazing. Really recommend it. Um, again, that's about creativity across the board and applied to all sorts of things, whether that's, you know, science or town planning or whatever it might be, you know, it's all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's there's some really good books that I've read by kind of founders. So Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Schoenard, who's the Patagonia founder, is amazing. Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, which is, uh, he's the founder of Nike, which is, again, amazing. And then I listen to lots of podcasts like Walking to Work or, you know, just kind of doing the cleaning or the, you know, tidying the kitchen, wherever it might be. And I'm really into Desert Island Distance. I think that's just an amazing resource. And you just learn loads of stuff in there and it's sort of super entertaining. Really into a geeky podcast about sound design called 20,000 Hertz, which is really good. Um, so yeah, just kind of finding influence outside of the usual places, I think makes you a more interesting and interested designer. So that would be my... Absolutely. My final word. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Well, it's been a real pleasure, Jamie. Thank you so much. And uh, to our listeners and viewers, please uh, also visit uh, csd.org.uk for uh, more interesting information on design and uh, the possibility of also joining. And again, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. And I hope to see you soon. Now you have another podcast to be listening to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Add to my list. Nice one. Thanks so much. All right. Cheers. All Bye. Best. Take care. Bye-bye.